Curious with Josh Peck is brought to you by the new Showtime original series, Kidding, starring Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. Carrey plays Jeff Pickles, a children's television icon and a force for good in an often cruel world. As his family life starts to unravel, Jeff's sanity is put to the ultimate test. Will he be able to keep it together? Don't miss the series premiere of Kidding, Sunday, September 9th at 10 p.m., following the season premiere of Shameless, only on Showtime. The series premiere is available for free on YouTube now. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Hi, babies. Hi, my babies. Hi. It's Uncle Josh here. That was fucking creepy. Uh, What's up? Welcome back to the Curious Podcast today, the day after a long weekend, a holiday weekend, Labor Day. God, people live for these long weekends. I mean, I've never been a working stiff, and that's been to my detriment. I'm not proud of that because people in the normal workforce, I have just an insane amount of respect for because I couldn't, maybe I could do it for the right job. You know, something, eh, I probably couldn't do it. But you know, I just, I love how, you know, Memorial Day weekend, fucking Labor Day, Thanksgiving, a four-day weekend, people fucks with that. They love it. You know, I don't know if the regular world is like this, but within the entertainment industry, because I'm one of those people, I'm different than you. Not really. I don't, I don't make sense in the entertainment industry anyway. Um, but, you know, it's funny because all like the agencies and whatnot, they will actually shut down a day before the weekend. So they're getting a four-day weekend too. They don't give a shit. Don't call CAA on a Friday because ain't nobody there, you know? I mean, listen, I'm not repped at CAA because I'm not famous enough, but I'm, I love my agency that I'm with because they're the bomb.com and they also listen to this podcast. So love you guys. Also, um, you know, love an audition if you got one. And if not, no problem. Um, I'm just playing. Yo, <laughs> I'm going to get all neurotic and worried about that. Yo, uh, my agency, I actually, I love you guys. Thank you for the support. Always. You're the best. You're the best. Never going to CAA. Anyway. I I like a good three-day weekend. I think it's a really relaxing time. I love to see people's attitude on Sunday when they're like, oh my God, I've got the whole world ahead of me. Please, this is, this is unlike any other Sunday. I could do whatever I want tonight. I don't have a care in the world. I don't have anywhere to be tomorrow. But slowly but surely, that week just starts creeping in and all of a sudden it's midday Monday and you're like, oh shit. Nah, gotta go back to life tomorrow. Ah, it was just Friday. And I was driving home, and the sun was setting perfectly on my car, and everything was just right in the world. I was listening to, to, a, to a podcast better than this one, probably Views by David Dobrik or the Joe Rogan Experience. And I just, I felt like there were so many possibilities. It was limitless. And here it just... In in the blink of an eye, here we are, Monday. God, is it four already? It's four fucking o'clock. What did I even do this weekend? This sucks. I went too hard Saturday, and it fucked up the rest of the weekend. I don't feel good, because I thought I could drink like I did when I was in college, but I can't. My liver doesn't allow that. I'm 31. I can't. I'm, I'm playing the part of a character, actually. I don't, I don't really drink, but um, yeah, it's, you know... It's it's going to be an interesting thing. You know, full disclosure, I'm pre-recording this um, a couple days before the holiday 
because I work with an incredible, beautiful, awesome uh, podcast company, and I want them, the beautiful employees and uh, my partners there, to have a lovely uh, weekend off, and, and I don't want them to have to sit and editing my, my silly uh, banter on a Monday. No, I want them to be out enjoying and lamenting that they have to go back to work the next day. So I haven't even experienced Labor Day yet. I'll be honest. It's Thursday, guys. And I'm just, I'm in complete projection. But I imagine my three-day weekend will be the same as yours. Nice, enjoyable, and then regretful towards midday the last day. And that's all I got. What else? Still going to be a father. That'll be cool. Probably, maybe. Hopefully I'll be good at it. I imagine I'll be serviceable at it. I know a lot of people that are parents that I just, they don't seem qualified from here. I'm going to be honest. But they're getting by and their kids are rather lovely, you know. They're, I mean, kids aren't standouts, you know. I don't see a Steve Jobs in the mix, but I also don't see a fucking, you know, Unabomber either. I just see some... You know, some nice young people that'll probably earn between eighty-five and one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year at their peak, and they'll they'll repopulate the earth and just do nice things, live in the suburbs, and be stoked for football on Sundays, and you know, whatever the occasional group on. I don't know; it's not my life, but yeah, I think I'll. I think the reality is is that my wife is so awesome, and I'm I'm really lucky that I think she will insulate. Um, my child from any of my weird dysfunction neuroses and then I'll get to just pepper in some uh, silly fun fun dad you know cute artist dad who can't teach them how to throw a football but can teach them how to throw a joke around and some might say that is more valuable of course I don't know who those people are that would say that but I imagine there are some out there Um, anyway today's episode Retta Retta, Retta, Retta. Um, Retta is a very good friend of mine who I've known for over a decade. Um, I'm just, I'm slightly obsessed with her. She's, she's sort of a perfect human. You might know her from Parks and Rec or Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce or many other things. Also, she just wrote a book, So Close to Being the Shit, Y'all Don't Even Know. And you should go buy that book on Amazon because I read it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I just so appreciate that she sat down with me for um, over an hour and we got to chop it up. I love her. Here's Retta. Thanks, Retta. I wanted to ask you, do you, when you look, because you are so good at social media. When you look at someone's Twitter Mm -hmm. and you see the amount of times they've tweeted Mm -hmm. in their career, do you make a snap judgment? Because sometimes I do. I don't. You know what? I don't. I don't really pay attention to that anymore. Really? Um, yeah, I don't. The only time I really look at someone's profile is um, if I don't know who they are and they've commented, and then you're like, who is it? Like they've th- they've said something rude if they're you know trolling or whatever, and you look and you're like, okay, I'm gonna let you and your 14 followers go <laughs> enjoy your time together. Right. Or, but I don't. I, ha, I, I don't have time for Twitter yes. as much as I used to because Twitter. I used to be on it. Like I'm more into Instagram now. I, I'm 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 visually mm. stimulated. I'm a visual person. Got so you. Instagram is more fun to me to see pictures, to see stories, and that sort of thing. So I get into that. But uh, but yes, I 
if I if someone knew, if I happen upon someone new, that I'm like, oh, this person has Instagram, you know, and I look and I'm like, twenty thousand pictures. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot of <laughs> that's time. A lot, that's a lot of pictures. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm not saying any shade here because everyone knows I love her, and I've said this to her face. Uh-huh. Christina Milian, my baby mama from grandfather, oh, uh-huh. who I love deeply, <laughs> sometimes would post, when we were working together, four to five photos a day. Oh, And I yeah, would say, that's Christina, that's bad form. <laughs> 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 you can't do that. And she'd be like, Josh. Like selfies? Uh, just, you know, oh. at events. Because she right, has right, a right. really cool, exciting life. Mm-hmm. And so she had more than enough. Whereas that's me, so like if I got two, you know, f- flamed photos a week, I'm stoked. Uh-huh. But and I would say that to her, and she'd be like, "I'm, I'm Christina Milian. <laughs> I'm doing just fine. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it, though." <laughs> I remember when we were shooting the pilot for Grandfathered, and we were in line getting food, and a guy that worked for the By cater. The way, is this part of the show? Yeah, because you're talking into the mic. Okay. I can cut it out. <laughs> you're like, I remember. <laughs> I uh, I remember getting food with Christina and this lovely catering guy took one look at Christina and pulled out his phone and said, you're my background. Uh-huh. Like, you're my wallpaper. Wow. Uh-huh. And I was like, Christina, you're powerful. <laughs> Can you believe this? Yeah, I mean, that is a pretty cool thing. I mean, I'm still uh, surprised by being in GIFs. Yes. You, know? you are highly when gifable, people, memeable. When people pop, you know, parks, because, I mean, if you search parks gifts you could be on the computer all day right so that's always so good i just now saw that they have the the moving gifts um that you can pop onto your story Mm. and so i had posted a, a a clip for chris pratt's birthday i posted a clip of a scene we're in and then i put chris pratt and or rather andy and donna gifts on the story so our heads were popping up and down as we're in the scene love it well done. <laughs> which i think is pretty cool <laughs> but I, it's funny that you say that about instagram because i too will notice if i'm on someone's twitter and i see that they've written seventy thousand tweets <laughs> <laughs> twitter's been around uh, for a little bit though uh, i don't even I, i'm hundred... afraid to look to see how many tweets i have a hundred and fifty thousand i'm like son you are narrating the world. <laughs> well, also, I mean, people get like that. I know a lot of people who will, who like to talk back to trolls. So you yes. end up getting a lot of tweets that way, too. Right. So if you're spending your day fighting with people, you're going to have 50 tweets in a day. You do, know what I mean? Do you ever talk back? Um. Not really. I usually will, like I said, I'll check the page first. And if it's like, you know, if they've got like 30 followers, that'll be like, oh, you and your friends can go play. Your life's hard enough. Um, Otherwise, I just retweet. Mm. I retweet because obviously something they've said is I think is crazy. And I know that my followers will be like, oh, we got this. (laughs) We'll take care of this. (laughs) (laughs) Or um, I will uh, I will say something like, thank you for your time. I feel like you're very introspective, and I'm going to let you go ahead and do that, and then block. Like it. Yeah. Strong. I don't, I don't generally. If I feel like they're making a point, but they're not, but they're coming from a place that is selfish or not rooted in just general goodness, I may comment back and be like, oh, so you would, so this is how you would feel if this was your grandmother, something like that, along yes. the lines to continue that conversation. And then when the, if they start getting crazy, I just don't, I don't go beyond that. Right. 
I, you know, I, I, when I, I remember when I had grandfathered coming out and I would get a lot of heat, especially this was like at the height of Vine and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So there were just like a lot of fuck boys coming at me the wrong way. (laughs) Because you were big on Vine, yeah? Yeah, I was big on Mm -hmm. it. And I was also like kind of older and also coming from the Drake and Josh of it all. So some people looked at it as a a step down for whatever reason. Instead of you having fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember that every hate tweet I get like, like, you know, um, you peaked, like, you're just, you, you know, you're, you're thirsty f- right. for followers. And I'm like, nothing will quench your thirst more like uh, grandfathered on Tuesday nights at 8.30. <laughs> like, and it, I was like, this is the only way to turn the heat right. or, like, turn all of this, um, this hate into something worthwhile, right. you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> But the thing is, when you address the trolls, and it's like Stephen Colbert when he when he went after Trump, and then Trump acknowledged it, and he's like, "Well, I've won," because mm-hmm. you acknowledge it. Like, right. I I feel as though it can almost never go right. 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 Yeah, I've had one or two instances where I've had someone come around and say, "I, I, you know what? I see your point of view. You know, I don't necessarily agree, but I do see where we're coming from, and so I understand your point of view." Then that. that feels good but, and I and I've had that experience you know where I was like you know what I get it you know I don't live in Ohio to have this happen so I get this level but you see where I'm coming from that kind of thing so I have had instances where I felt like I was heard or the other person felt like they were heard yes particularly I think part of it is because most of the time if someone's DMing or you know hate tweeting at or leaving ridiculous comment at a celebrity, they don't think they're going to see it. They just want to say their words and feel superior in that moment. And when someone comments on it, every once in a while, people will take a moment to be like, oh, oh my God, I love you so much. I didn't think you would read that. Well, why did you write something so hateful or so disparaging? Um, and it because they just want to say words sometimes. Yes. So I feel like, Every once in a while, you'll get a moment, you'll have a moment of clarity, or they'll have a moment of clarity. It is rare. <laughs> it's usually more just, and more as rare. you said, fuck boys or haters. <laughs> um, in which case, you know, go eat a dick. But um, I love it. <laughs> do you now? What are your thoughts on people who are famous or have certain level of celebrity chastising others publicly? Because I think that's a whole other level. Yeah, that's hard. Right? It's hard. It's. I don't um, think you don't seem like the type. I don't. I, well, I don't. I don't know if I. I don't. I don't chastise because I talk about Trump all the time, and I talk about some of the senators that I think are doing some really heartless and selfish things. Right. And I don't know. I. I don't know that it sounds like chastising. I would like to think that it doesn't, but I like. I would like it. I do want it to be known that people don't appreciate choices that they're making for swaths of the nation, you know? And so I will, and I never, that's the thing. I never used to talk about politics, especially because I didn't want to have to cuss anybody out. (laughs) Right. Um, So I never, but we're in a day and age. It's like, you got to, you got to make your opinion known and, and make your views known or make your position known. And, 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 you know, the position 
of your your people, your group, whatever it is, um, because there's there's no way there's going to be a change. So I don't I, I don't think I chastise the celebrity thing. I try not to comment on anyone's physical appearance or clothing. I will comment on characters on TV, and I'll so I'll be like, sure. Why? Um, um, I used, I remember I used to talk about. Uh, uh, scandal, scandal. A, Bell, a Bellamy Young's hair on Scandal because I knew it was a wig, and I was like, talk, I would talk about the, the why she, the first lady, right, was dressed this way or that way or whatever. So I will talk about characters, but I won't. It's not them. Yeah, it, you know, whatever it is, I, right. I, you know, I'm, I'm chastising <laughs> this this particular character. No but shots I, fired at a real person. I don't, yeah, no, I try, and I know, you know, when you're especially when you're young and you look in magazines, you see people on TV, you want to comment. You want to comment. And that's fine. You have a conversation with your girlfriends, you talk shit, blah, 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 yeah, whatever. Because it it, yeah, you're on the same team. You're, you're in a safe place. Exactly. You're not saying it to that person for them to hear it, to be like, who the fuck do you think you are? But, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Talk, be catty. Yeah. And then keep it moving. There's a time and place. But when it comes to coming to someone, because chances are you're not going to say it in that person's face. No, so when you no post it does. on yeah, when you post it on social media, if you're not if you're not gonna say it to someone's face, don't say it. Well, it's a level. I remember listening to, to Lance Armstrong on Howard Stern, and he was talking about after all of the steroids came out and his fall from grace, and how I mean how publicly he was sort of mm-hmm. his whole legacy was assaulted, and social media was relentless. He's like even with all that. Not a single person has ever come up to me and even said, you really let me down, Lance. Right. No one has the balls yeah. to say <laughs> shit. And like, that's the world in which we live in. And I, I you know, for me, and, and I think you're right, and especially with the political things, because we're all, you know, we're all citizens of this country. So we're mm-hmm. allowed to have a voice and especially it's it's done in a public forum. But more specifically, like. I remember when this big YouTuber, and I'm sure you might have heard of it, this kid Logan Paul. Mm -hmm, I know. I did a movie with him. Yeah. So Logan fucked up and did this awful thing. And unfortunately, he did something completely out of character that many, you know, people in their late teens and early 20s are guilty of. Mm -hmm. Just doing something, a complete lapse in judgment. But, you know, he is who he is and he's famous and all this money and fans. And so he, he did it on a public stage. And I remember watching all these actors and people running to eviscerate right. him publicly. Right. And I was like, fuck that shit. Mm. I was like, we're all in glass houses mm-hmm. and it could happen to any of us. I mean, granted, what he did was unacceptable, but nevertheless, like everyone in life has had a bad moment that goes right. against who they are. And I'm like, let this be a moment to teach. He's, right. he's cause he's a kid and that's what kids do. And if we ruin kids lives for making a mistake once, like, I, I know I was forgiven, mm-hmm. and I'm just glad there wasn't social media when I was running around right. Hollywood being a real cliche, <laughs> you know, snorting that booger right. sugar being a real, <laughs> real cliche. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? The devil's dandruff. <laughs> Colombian calcium. <laughs> oh, God. oh, my God. Hey now, hey now, we've got another ad. What's up, y'all? It's Josh Peck, and I'm just here to read you an ad, so get excited. Did you know that every single episode of Curious is now on Spotify? 
Mm-hmm. The same app that has millions of songs now also has thousands of podcasts. And yo, I use Spotify in my life, in my home, okay? So if you come into my apartment and you're like, whoa, what's that sick banging streaming service that's pumping out all these hits? It's Spotify. Anyway... On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows and discover new ones. Just not too many. We get really jealous over here. Anyway, to subscribe to Curious, search for Curious, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify. They're streaming right now and now and now. Let's get back to the show. Who are you? We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The people who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make the show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to listenerq.com slash curious and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Yeah. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash curious. That's ListenerQ.com slash curious. Okay, so I've been dying to ask you this since I I knew I was starting a pod and and you would bless me with an hour to Uh chat. Do you get over it with... With your catchphrase and people saying it to you. I mean, um, treat yourself like y- enough. Yes and no. Yes. Uh, Give me people, the real deal. When people come at me as if they're the first person to say it. I get I that just, too. I just look at them and go, <laughs> come on. Come on. J- just just type it into to, to Twitter and see how when's the last time it was tweeted. Yes. Probably a minute ago. <laughs> um but like um a lot of times when i like if i go to a restaurant someone will write it on the check and it and and i don't mind it especially if they were if if they if i had good service and they weren't weird right you know what i mean if they weren't weird and so that was just their way of acknowledging i know who you are i respect what you've done obviously they watch the show they like the show and that's why they were saying it right. so i don't in that in those instances i don't mind it i get it a lot um if I post going to dinner, buying buying something, doesn't even matter what it is, making any kind of purchase, I get like a thousand comments, you know, um, in which case I, I kind of don't even look at it anymore because I'm not going to not acknowledge a hundred treat yourselves, right. you know. Um, I don't like it if I'm out somewhere and someone just jumps in my face and yells it. I, that is I'm annoying. Sure. Or just yells <laughs> it from afar. Yeah, right? I do. I, and more annoying than treat yourself, really, is when people call me Donna. Yes. Because I'm like, I know you have a smartphone. I know you can go look up my real name. Right. And I've, and I've seen people do it. I, and I know it. So I'm like, I, I respect that. Because I can see them being like, wanting to say Donna. And then I see them pull out their phone. And then they come up and they're like, are you Retta? And I'm like, yes, I saw you. God <laughs> bless those Recognize people. Recognize me. Yeah. yeah. But people who just come at me and say Donna, it, it, that makes me more crazy than treat yourself. I don't, uh, it's the, I thank my lucky stars every day that Drake and Josh was named after us. <laughs> Because if I was fucking Screech, if, 
I would end it. Like, no hate to Dustin Diamond. Much respect, my friend. But, like, if someone was coming up to me and was like, you know, Harvey every day, I'd be like, guys, I can't do this with you. Even when they, people will come up and be like, what's your real name? And I'll be like, it's Josh. Right. Like, and I'm like, and it was funny because the creator of the show, Nickelodeon after Drake and Josh, because he had created Keenan and Kel and the Amanda show, Drake and Josh. And so as far as titles go, right. he was like, we'll just use their names. And then Nickelodeon got hip to the fact that like they couldn't really own the character mm-hmm. if they were our names. Right. They were like, no more of that. So uh, we were the last. And I'm like, I thank him every day. Right. <laughs> but I so identify with you because I get it too because we had catchphrases for my show like hug me brother mm-hmm. and all these things that have become incredibly like if if Parks and Rec lived before social media I wonder if it would be as quotable right because it's as you said so memeable and, right. and gifable I don't um yeah just imagine because you know I know um like for me treat yourself is my dynamite and what you right. talk about, Willis, those things are in the fabric of our lives, as they say. Yeah, hasta la vista, and there was baby. No, and there was no social media. So I can't imagine, you know, for sure, beloved shows like that, what, what it would have been like. So w- whether it's a blessing or a curse that, you know, our shows came along post social media I don't know but I, I will say it gives me a level of I mean treat yourself really was what made me known mm. it was it was the the hit the first hit the the first the first time I got a you know I remember there being a difference in my visibility is the episode the hunting trip episode where I I lose my shit because the the my car was shot and I just remember the tweets pouring in. And I didn't even realize that episode was airing that night. I just remember opening up. I was at work and I'm opening up Twitter and all the at mentions. It was like crazy at mentions about it. And it was about me screaming. So that was like a moment in the show. That right. was a big deal. But when Treat Yourself came out, it was the, the at mentions through the roof. And I, and I didn't even think it was going to be that great. It was my friend who happened to be visiting me on set. She saw she was there for us for the the um, the Tabering? cupcake part. Oh, no, okay. no, she was there for the the scene where where Tom gives Donna the treat yourself cupcakes, and then when we did the talking head, where it's like you know uh, massages, mimosas, that part. And afterwards, she was like, "That's gonna be huge," and I was like, "Really?" She's she knew. like, "Yeah." She's like, "That's gonna be fucking huge," and I didn't think anything of it beyond that moment when she said it, and then. At work, opening up Twitter, and just all the at mentions coming in that day. And I was like, what the fuck is going <laughs> Because I wasn't that big on Twitter then. Sure. I wasn't that big on Twitter. Um, and did you did they know what it was in the writer's room? Or was it just sort of an innocuous line that you brought to life and all of a sudden people were like, yes? I don't know. Maybe Alan knew when he wrote it. Alan Yang, um, who created Master of None with Aziz wrote that episode of Parks. Wow. And maybe he saw something in it. I don't know. But I know we made it our own because I remember standing, when we were getting ready to shoot, like the, the, we had to, we had to come up with how to sing it. 
Right. So I was like, what do you want to, and, and Aziz tends to sing stuff the same way. Like if you, if you listen to a bunch of stuff, it's, it's, yeah, he's sense. So I was like, okay, we got to come up with a way to sing it. That doesn't sound the same. Um, so we were like, uh, 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 uh. we like trying to figure out how to sing it. And so we finally figured that out. Um, which screwed us up when we um, when we had to do a different year because we were like, oh, it's going to be hard to sing it. For <laughs> you just have to sound 17. Like, you know, we would be stressed out about yeah. what if we ha- this comes back because people were like, this has to come back. And, and it finally came back in the, the final season. But we we did actively work to make it entertaining. Right. Um, not sure if we really thought it, we certainly didn't think it was going to be that big. Right. For sure. Never thought I'd be on mugs and t-shirts at target. Are you getting money from that? No. See, (laughs) that's some bullshit. That's some bullshit. I remember one of my favorite stories is because I have like two scenes in this Al Pacino movie that Dan Fogelman wrote and he's his best. And so I'm getting to be around Pacino, which is a dream, but even better is hanging around his assistant. Yeah. Because he's like, all right, I got to tell you this story. He's like, so Pacino is doing this movie with Christopher Walken, and they're hanging out. And someone, he's like, I come down with all this Tony Montana merchandise for him to sign off on, like uh-huh. hats and sneakers and all this stuff. And Chris Walken's looking at Pacino, and he goes, ow. <laughs> Do you make money every time? You, you know, they use your likeness. Uh-huh. And you know, Al, he's like, of course. <laughs> I make money from it all. And, and Chris Walken goes, you know, I've never made a dollar from cowbell. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. Cowbell. <laughs> that's but, ain't that some shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. That's the, that's the only thing that bugs is when they do use my picture for stuff. Yes. Because usually they, you, they'll just use the phrase, you know, which... I, I don't know that I necessarily own it. I think NBC owns the phrase. Right. Really. Um, well, because, you know. like, I know the kid from my show. Now he tours around, like, Mexico and stuff, Drake, from Drake and Josh. And, like, there's he's got merch mm-hmm. for his concerts that right. have catchphrases from the show. Right. And I'm like, I don't think those are sanctioned. <laughs> <laughs> by, I'm like, make your money, boo-boo, but, but t- shit. Trust me, if I make if I can treat yourself t-shirt, right. I'm not sending Aziz a check. <laughs> yeah, good for you. I'm like, everybody else is fucking making money off this shit. Now, but I'm too lazy to actually do it. What, what season... Was that, or what episode, was that in the first season when that No. Re- no, that was much Did later. Yourself? Yeah. That was, um, I think, season three. So it sounds four. like. Three or four. Especially with, like, the musical component, and obviously they knew that you were musical and could sing. Like, do you think that it was this perfect marriage of that they started to really understand you as a performer? Oh, for sure. Right? For sure. I mean, I feel like that's what, um... That's what our writers were great at. Um, they incorporated a lot of things from our life. Even on the show I'm on now, they do the same thing. Um, yes. Like, they pull stuff from our lives. So, like, with Nick, they made they made um, Ron Swanson a woodworker because Nick is a woodworker. Nick owns... It's what he does primarily now, right? What, <laughs> like, no, 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 no. He still owns, but he still owns the shop, but that was his thing. That right. was his thing before... You know, he was a carpenter, and and he made things with his hands. And so they used that 
for the character. Um, I sing classical, so it's one of the things that um, that Mike added in for the wedding of Leslie and and uh, I was about to say Adam, but yeah, Adam, sure. Because um, <laughs> they they wanted to, use so they they let me, you know, so they let me sing classical in that, and and because uh, I feel like every great writer, comedy writer, when they know that you can play the part. Mm-hmm. They then say, "What else you got? Right, like, give us all yeah. your tricks. Yeah. Like, can you juggle? Yeah, it could be can hard. Sing. Like, just because they, you know, by season two or three, they're like, all right, we got to redefine this a right. little bit. You know, right? It's easier to give you characteristics that you actually have. <laughs> Do you? All right. So you grew up in Jersey, mm-hmm. and your parents are Liberian immigrants. Mm-hmm. So and and. Obviously, we're here not just because we're friends, but you have this incredible book that's out. So let's get the plug in now. Okay. We're going to get it throughout. You know what I mean? Go for it. So <laughs> close to being the shit. Y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. Of, available at all retail booksellers. Amazon. Wherever books are sold, as they say. Barnes & Noble. If and audiobook. Audible. Audiobook. Audible, a sponsor of this show oh, sometimes. Nice. <laughs> yes. Shout out Audible. Um and so, and you talk about it so eloquently in your book, but I, I feel like having the experience of immigrant parents is sort of unlike any other, especially like as you talk about the pressure of the academics mm-hmm. and to sort of bring honor to the name of your family. Right. And do you find, I mean, and I feel like you never quite shake that totally, right? No. Well. I mean, I'm an adult now, you know, I pay my own bills, um, <laughs> you know, on occasion, pay my parents' bills. Cute. So I don't, um, I don't feel that pressure, but also I'm successful. Right. But, but I, yeah, I don't want to embarrass my family for sure. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be in the tabloids for some crazy shit. Right. Unless it's going to get me another gig. Um, and sometimes it does. <laughs> I know, sadly. But um, I don't feel that pressure anymore. But I was stressed when I first moved out here and was hustling and trying to get, you know, stand-up gigs and going on the road and trying to pay rent. You know, I like, I got I to gotta do this for, for the fam. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but it, I don't know that it was – it would probably have been more stressful if I, if I was in medical school and not doing well in medical school. You know, with with coming out here to be an actor, that's hard, and and not everybody succeeds in that. So I was smart enough to know that was a hard thing, and I don't think I would have felt like I I ruined the family name if I hadn't made it, because I would have done something else, and I would have figured something out. Uh, and and I came here with the blessing of my parents. It wasn't like they were like, if you don't go to medical school, we're cutting you off kind of thing. Yeah. I think they were a little bit, I think they kind of expected me to end up back, back home. Sure. (laughs) Like, we'll keep your your room. Yeah. We'll keep it tight. You want to come back to beautiful Newark. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. So, uh, I don't, I don't feel that pressure anymore. I don't know that I felt it that much when I came back. I felt it when I was in school. Yes. When I was living in their house, you know, I I did feel that pressure, but I mean, I got over it. I, and I too, and you talk about it in your book when you when you say as a 
as a teenager seeing your friends act out or go against their parents mm -hmm. and how it was so foreign to you. Yeah. And similarly, I mean, and God knows my mom and I had fights growing up, but I just felt this intense pressure and, and probably because my mom was a single parent, so mm -hmm. she had to play both roles. Yeah. But she was not to be crossed. Mm -hmm. She was tough. <laughs> yeah. And I always Wait, say... Wait, where's your mom from? She's from New York, from Jersey, okay. West Orange. Mm -hmm. And, like, I would always say that, you know, my mom would never hit me, of course, but she would talk to me like I cut her off in traffic. <laughs> like, had no problem using some strong curse right, words right. to be like, do you not understand the game we're right, playing here? Right, 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 Like, right. you better get on board. Because, like, <laughs> I will leave you at the station. <laughs> like, and, you know, and, and she was very good. You know, I benefited so much from that she made a huge sacrifice to to give me everything that I got that she didn't have. Mm -hmm. And and so she was very clear. It's not that she laid it on me, but she was like, listen, like a lot has gone into you having the resource and the, the uh, you know, just the, the gifts that you have today. And mm -hmm. so you need to understand that in everything you do. Like it's not by chance. You didn't hit the lottery. Like right. a lot went into you. Right. And I, it sounds like I'm sure you got that a lot from your, I mean, the sacrifices that they made. I think, I, well, in the book, I say I didn't realize the position we were in when I was young. Right. I didn't realize that we were broke. I didn't understand when I asked for something and they weren't, they weren't certain if they could give it to me or they said no. When they would tell me, my mother would be like, we don't have the money. And I would, I would honestly look at them and be like how do you go to work every day you're out of this house right 10 to 12 hours a day Come on. working how do you not have money how do i not have an atari no 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 clue as to <laughs> where the money went you know like i i just didn't get it bills didn't i did not get it when i le when i left college and i had to get i had to you know, get a, a the power and the water, and you know, pay the rent. And the rent, I knew I would have to pay. But the all the little things, I was like renters insurance. <laughs> and then you look at your, you know, the taxes that come out of the check, and you're like, what? What is happening yeah. here? You you have you have that that moment of realization, like oh. They were doing this for a reason. Then when you get even older and learn what people earn doing this or that, and you're like, that's when I realized, oh, that's why they were like, you better get fucking good grades, bitch. Yes. <laughs> and do some shit because you're not going to earn money if you don't have an education. Like all of those things. And my, my mother went to college while I was going to college. So my mother worked all day and then went to school at night. Where? Um, well, when, I, when we were in when I was in Cliffwood Beach, she went to Monmouth College. Sure. And then when she graduated from Monmouth with her, her Bachelor's of Science, then she went to Keene College for her, or, or actually she got the associate, associate's degree from uh, Monmouth and then went to Keene College and another school. So my mother's graduation day was like two or three days after mine. Unreal. And then she went back and got another degree after I'd graduated and, and I was going to, um, I was back in North Carolina. What did she get her degree she, in? Cause she, my mother worked in insurance, so she got 
some kind of graduate degree in insurance. And I did stand up at her insurance school once in New York, up in New York. I love that. Until she came to my show. It was a, it was a nooner. I hated nooners. Midday? Yeah. Stand-up doesn't belong in the Uh, daylight. It's my nightmare. Stand-ups are vampires (laughs) at best. It gets weird. People that do like, even a 7.30 show can get a little weird. You know, like it should be at nine and after. Exactly. What, and what were you, how old were your parents when they moved to America? Um, My mother was 19. And up in. My dad was in his 20s. Up until that point in Liberia, were they working or just studying? Um, my mother came for school, so she started, Gotcha. you know, she was taking classes. She's like, I, I only knew my mother to be in school. So she was always working, always taking classes. Right. You know, she was always in night and when she didn't have the money to pay for classes, that's when she didn't, you know, didn't have school. Um, but then, you know, she started cleaning people's houses and so she could finish her degree. So um, my mother was always in school. My dad, my dad had graduated from high school. I don't think my dad went to college. <laughs> I'm thinking about it now, like in Liberia. So when they right. came, he just worked. And was to them, did they always imagine that they were going to migrate to America? Did, or I think so. That was kind of the thing. Right. For, for a lot of their friends came, came to the States around that time. And, and I know you talk about in your book that you had plenty of cousins and mm-hmm. family members living with you guys. But what was there any other, you know, like Liberian people living in Jersey at that time? Like, what was the community like? Uh, there were lots of Liberians in Newark, where I was born, there weren't any that I knew of where we ended up living in Edison or in, um, in Cliffwood Beach. Right. Um, so they did have a community, cause, and they had a lot of family, uh, but they were spread out. So a lot, there were a lot of um, good, good friends in New York and New Jersey, parts of New Jersey. And they're still, you know, still tight with those friends. So they do have their community. But Newark was the area that I remember there being a lot of Liberians. And, but I was, we moved out of Newark when I went to second, when I got into second grade. And, and when did you have your first sort of inkling that you had a love for the arts or your first moment where you felt as though, you know, I, maybe I could do this. As a performer? Yeah. Um, I did plays. I did plays. Well, I will say in second grade, I had my first solo in our, um, in our, uh, what do they call it? The programming, the music programming where they would bring, you know, parents would come, they would do the full day, all the grades, every class. Yeah. The big show off day. Um, why am I forgetting the word? Yeah. When you go to the auditorium. Like a showcase. Yeah. But assembly. Assembly. Yes. That was it. I've been to some good ass (laughs) assemblies. I love it. Pledge of allegiance before. (laughs) (laughs) So I did, I had my first solo performance in second grade and I sang chim, the solo in chim, chimney, chim, chimney, chim, 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 A classic. Um, and then I remember in third grade, I had a solo. We did the music from HMS Pinafore and I played Little Buttercup. Classic. Mm-hmm. 
Now, you might, did you uh, volunteer for the solos, or did someone hear you in the choir they, they, and they, they were like, "They would, yeah." The, the t- music teacher would be yeah. like, "All they right, knew. you're gonna sing this, whatever." Um, but I think I was the only one in my grade that soloed in second grade. So that I think, not that I thought I was special, but I was like, I know I can sing, but but I honestly, singing was my thing. Dancing was my thing. Hmm. Like I love to dance. Um, still to this but day. Not, I do like to dance, <laughs> if my raggedy back would let me. Um, but like just dance for fun. Not, I never took classes or anything like that. I right. would just, if the music was playing, I was dancing. It wasn't until, I guess, you know, like junior high, I, you know, when you we have chorus class and then the, the teacher would be like, oh, you're good. You're a soprano. Like, that's the first time I knew I was a soprano. Right. Um, and Which is what you want to be. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sometimes I'm mezzo. Sometimes okay. I'm mezzo-soprano. You ain't trying to be an alto, though. You know, <laughs> you, know you want to get those high but do, notes. But I can harmonize, so every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, did you do tenor? Yeah. Because there's no men in this choir. I'll go low. You know? Um, but that was the first time that I realized, I was like, oh, I can sing. So when people would say I could sing, I'd be like, mm-hmm. yes, you know, that kind of thing. And did you yeah. ever train it? Did you ever? No, take I lessons? just took the, you know, I just took music classes, right. regular music classes that we had that we were supposed to take throughout um, grade school and junior high. And then I can't remember if we were allowed, you know, if we were chose electives in high school, but I always did chorus right. and sang in chorus, but that was just for fun. That was, you know, so I did plays in high school. That was fun. I love the camaraderie. I love the, I love the backstage of it all. You know, I yeah. like performing, but I, I loved backstage. I love doing silly things with our friends. Artists. And trying to make fun of, you know, make people laugh from off stage and that kind of thing. That was fun for me. Did you immediately identify with the community of actors and artists more so than perhaps the pre-med science students, or you wouldn't really make that discernment yet? No, I was always a nerd. I, like, always. I, school was my thing. Like, I love math and science. Right. I, I felt like I have an empirical mind, and so I, math and science appealed to me more than English and history because I thought that English and history were just memorization and writing papers was subjective. I don't know how, I didn't understand. I mean, I know you could look at a paper and be like, this is shitty, right. but, I, but to say this is a great paper and this one isn't, like I'd be like, yeah. I deserve an A on every paper I do. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, that's in the eye of the beholder. But when it comes to math and science, I'm like, there's one answer. Right. And you I may got find a different shit. way to get it, but as long as you got the answer, you got the answer. That's it. There's one answer. But what about when teachers would be like, show your work? I'd be like, for what? Yeah, no, I could show my work. That's yeah. the thing. I could do it. <laughs> yeah, you that, had But I, I liked that. I liked that to be able to... The clear yeah. black and white. Yes. This 100%. is right. 100%. So that, for me, was always going to be my future. So I was... Like, once I decided... Like, medical school, which I think since ninth grade, I, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. Neurosurgeon. I was always going to be... Yeah. Once I got to college is when I decided I was going to be a neurosurgeon. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Well, it's the most badass. Well, that's what I was going to say. Right? It was the hardest... It would be the hardest thing to do. So I was like, yeah, trying to be a that. podiatrist. <laughs> exactly. No hate on foot doctors, by the way. Oh, I'm going to get killed for that yeah, one. You are. <laughs> 
like, but they the are they profession. do you know the doctors of the soul yes. if you will because i've had to go to a podiatrist on many occasions god so bless I them. them i have flat feet and i've had orthotics <laughs> made for those said feet <laughs> um and then you talk about this in your book and like any good jew whenever a jew is mentioned it like lasers out of me I'm like oh i gotta read further uh-huh. where you talk about your experience growing up where until you got to college, many of your friends were like Jewish mm-hmm. and your mom had said something to the effect of like, if anyone can sympathize or understand the plight of African-Americans, mm-hmm. I'd love, cause I know I have my own experience in feeling that growing up and uh-huh. who my friends were, but I'd love to hear from your side. What I that always was. thought my, my mother always loved Jewish people. It was so weird to me. I'm like, why are you just like Jewish people? Like, why don't you just like people? And I, I'm telling you, it's because I, I never learned when I was young, I didn't, I didn't learn about the Holocaust. It wasn't until I was older. Yes. And then I was like, then I understood she, what she meant by a plight, the plight of a people, because in my, where I grew up, the Jewish people were the rich people, right? They were the affluent. They, and, but I learned later from my mother, that's because they fucking worked really hard to get where they were. I didn't know that. Yeah. I was in a place where I was like, Oh, Jewish people are rich. <laughs> sure. You know, they get eight days. At Hanukkah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's man. all I, you know, that's all I knew because I didn't learn anything about Jewish people other than they had the nicest clothes in my high school. Until or you, in my junior high. Until you learn that Hanukkah, the parents get hip to that shit in the first four days are like socks. <laughs> right, like, yo, right. come on. Yeah, like, exactly. where's the Game Boy and shit? <laughs> exactly. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, my mother. She, you know, she knew what she knew in her head, and she she left me to learn what I was going to learn eventually. Um, so she just, but I never understood. I never understood her love for Jewish people. She, uh, you know, like um, I remember my friend, um, my friend Jason, in college when I was, he he brought back some of my stuff from college because I didn't come straight home to Jersey after the year freshman year had ended and so we went to go pick up my stuff at his parents house the Fischelbergs and <laughs> great name <laughs> and uh his mom Joyce we left there and she oh she kept talking about Joyce ah that Joyce <laughs> I love that Joyce she I is just the best she's lovely and I was like you just like Jewish people <laughs> like, right. just I love that down. I don't know it was just a weird thing she was like she was like, Jewish women are just lovely and they, basically they could do no wrong as far as she was I concerned. love it. And she probably identified too because many Jewish women, at least that I know, are like tough and like, mm-hmm. you know, very direct with their, what right. they're feeling and, and don't take any BS. And they're, yeah, and they're very mothering. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Want to fix the it's world. It's really funny. <laughs> oh, no. Is, is this another ad interrupting this podcast that I am thoroughly enjoying? I don't want to listen to this. Oh, wait, no. Let me assure you, you do. Because have you heard of Stitch Fix, y'all? Let me learn you. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body budget, and lifestyle. Look, you'll be paired with your very own personal stylist who will handpick five items to send right to your door. Just go to stitchfix.com slash curious and tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each item. Look, recently, I did the whole sign-up process 
couldn't have been easier. They asked me a couple questions about my body type. I said, it's sort of like, you know, athletic with certain chubby, hot areas. You know what I mean? I'm talking lower back. I'm talking inner thigh. We don't have to get into details. I think they got it from the way I described it. Anyway, told them, you know, what colors I tend to, to, to enjoy, patterns for shirts. There weren't that many questions, but just enough where I have full faith that when I get my, my box in the mail, it is going to be full of items that I will love. Look, get started now at stitchfix.com slash curious, and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash curious to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash curious. Let's get back to the show. By the way, someone, someone, um, commented on um, Amazon, did a review of my book, and said that my book had hints of anti-Semitism. Are you fucking and, kidding me? And uh, intolerance to the LGBTQ. And I was like, what book was she reading? I was like, because I brought up that my mom liked Jewish people, that she was thought I was being anti-Semitic. And I really, I was, I was angry. I remember calling my publicist and being like, the fuck, like, what? I was like, is she trying to sabotage my book or what? That is some... Yeah. So I'm, am I crazy? Because I was yeah. like... <laughs> that's a bugged out fucking okay. statement. Yeah. And has much further implications on just the world in which we are living in. Yeah. We're just Maybe. like... I mean, because you perform... Do you, you perform at colleges, right? Not anymore, but I, I did enough. For years. For years. Yeah. And like, and I do too. And while like my stuff has always been, other than cursing, has been pretty... Right. You know you know green for the most part mm -hmm. it's like so many comedians have stopped performing at colleges because they're so afraid of being like the slightest bit on pc right. right not that you're i just heard that too yeah i haven't done it in so long i don't i mean because it's like we're just such snowflakes like and god forbid <laughs> someone says the wrong thing and and it registers yeah. with our fragile psyche but you know it's funny too like uh, Chappelle has that great joke in his act where he talks about like he's like the only, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but he'll be like, you can't have a conversation with a Jew on who's suffered more. Like, black <laughs> right. people or Jews. He's like, right. then you go to Holocaust, and then you go slavery, and then the Jews go, well, what about Egypt? And you go, fuck, I didn't know we were going back that far. <laughs> God. Oh, God. That's um, hilarious. But, yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> Classic. And so, and so when you, you leave college, you go to work for GlaxoSmithKline? Yeah, it was just Glaxo when I went there. And that's like, I mean, you're talking like Pfizer. Like, these are huge mm -hmm. pharmaceutical companies. Uh -huh. What's it like being inside the doors of a of a superpower like that? Um, it was pretty great in that. So, you were a chemist for them. Mm -hmm, I did. I was a contract chemist. Wow. Uh, so I wasn't, I didn't work for Glaxo. I worked for basically a temp agency. Sure. Um, but... It was, it was a beautiful campus. The buildings were gorgeous. The, 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 the property was gorgeous. So it was like going to a very beautiful place. It was very pristine. I like, you know, it, it wasn't like a hospital because you have, uh, hospitals have a different implication, but it's very, very yeah, clinical. clinical and clean. And I like that. Yes. I like a neat space. Like this space, it's too small. It's, it, I, 
it makes me crazy. Do We're you want in to my paint pool it? house. Yeah, paint it for the listeners a little bit. Well, We're... I'm living I'm living in my pool house while my house is being renovated. Did you ever think you'd say that sentence? Yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, that's good for yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> but um and I basically got it because I wanted a space in case some my one of my parents had to come and live with me, that kind of thing. So it was really I was buying it with, you know, the future in mind kind of thing. In in Yiddish, we have a word. It's called kenahura, uh-huh. if the worst happens. Right. And, like, exactly. so much in the way we're similar, we're, I'm always ready for the kenahura. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. when the shit hits the fan. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So um, I, I, I'm very organized and that kind of thing. So working in a lab and you have to have, at least my section was for sure. You have to have everything organized. You have to know where everything is. And to me, it was like perfect. And then like they, the cafeteria was insane. Like the options, they, they, it was like a subsidized. Right. Food, so it was cheap. All oh. my friends would come to camp, to Glaxo's campus to eat lunch. Like Bless. they're like $10 and they were taking half their shit home. Like it was crazy. So it was really a nice place to work. I loved it. And I liked the people that I worked with. Um, but once I, and it was the first time I was, you know, earning my own money and taking care of myself and that sort of thing. So it was a, it was a great start. But once I was, you know, had been doing it for a little bit and, and was living alone, like I said, for the first time, and I would watch TV, TV was my roommate. That's when I was, I mean, I always loved TV, but that's when I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Right. You know, so I was, figuring out how I could get here and do that. And do you find that that's been a through line in your life? Because I, I, I find it is for me and, and uh, Oprah Winfrey. Uh, <laughs> talks I'm sorry. Did you, did you drop that name? <laughs> and she talks about a voice, like mm-hmm. this inner voice that for her is crystal clear. And it's like a God consciousness, whatever it is she believes in, but it's like something giving her a clear direction of like, keep going forward in this way like this is what you're meant for and it sounds like you had a little bit of that like a clarity of vision yeah I well I always describe it as once I decided that's what I was going to do that was I always knew it was going to happen I always there was always a feeling of knowing not if just when I was curious as to when I knew it was going to happen. It was going to happen. I was going to make it happen. There was, I don't know how it was just going to happen. And so, and because I feel like, like I said, I have an empirical mind. I always, I'm like planning. I do my lists. I do, you know, I love to check something off a list. So I was like, I need to do this, 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 because that's what this comic did. That's what that comic did that, you know, that kind of thing. So I always thought it was going to happen. Uh, And, and I guess part of it is also, you know, my mother is super religious. Um, and I was like, God's not going to let me down. Right. <laughs> I, was, I was like, Debbie Sarleaf prays too damn hard for me for it not to happen. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. So I've always had that in my head. It was like, and, and worst case scenario, if all this goes to shit, I can always go back to Jersey. My parents are not going to not let me live at home. And you had, a, I mean, you had a degree from Duke to fall back on, which ain't bad. Yeah. I mean, I have, a, I have a degree from homeschool to fall back on. So this doesn't work. I mean, if, if no one listens to this podcast, I'm, I'm fucked. I'll, I'll be the one in the guest house. <laughs> um, but I think that's so, yeah, I think, you know, it's that weird balance, right? And I feel like 
as comedians and funny people, it serves you to have a very clear vision of yourself. Mm -hmm. For and, sure. Right? I feel like, I, 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 I can't remember if I mentioned it in the book or not, but Amy and, Amy and I had, the, had a conversation about it in the makeup trailer once. She said the same thing. She's like, oh, I always knew it was going to happen. Mm. I just always had it in my head it was going to happen. So whether you're delusional or it you know need, it was meant in the stars delusion, you have right? to just know you have to as they say you have to believe it's there's a reason they say it you have to just believe that it's going to happen because otherwise what are you working for right you know what are you putting in all this effort if you don't think it's going to happen you have to just know in your heart that it's going to be what you set out set it out set out to have or make happen for you um so yeah, because because I still have things in my mind, you know that you I'm like that, that yeah that I'm like oh that's gonna happen that's it's coming don't worry right. about it benchmarks just, you just have to do the hustle do the job do the work but and did it, let it did, happen did it look quite like this or how did you I'm always fascinated in in that I love the phrase like God's the only one that that draws straight with crooked lines mm -hmm. and so. Did when you were thinking about this as the chemist, or maybe even as time went on a little bit, did it look like this, or were you like, no, I'm gonna be, because you talk about like you know Retta the sitcom mm -hmm. or what, and you've done stuff. Oh right, well yeah. So I mean yeah, I thought I I was like I came here with the plan of having the Retta show. Yes, um, I don't have the Retta show, but because I've gr I'm older, I've grown up. I've, I'm now on a show that I get to do a lot of drama, drama, drama on. It's a dramedy, but I get to do drama on. And I, I mean, I call myself the crybaby on the show because I'm like, I cry every freaking episode. But it's not, that's certainly not what I thought I would be doing. Sure. But I feel the most comfortable in that right now. And really? so, yes. So, I mean, maybe maybe it's because I don't go to therapy and it gives me a chance to cry in public. Yeah, a healthy. <laughs> you know outlet. what I mean? So, it's uh, but one it of just my feels right, right for me, and I feel like I'm gonna be able to do a little more, um, more drama. He's, I don't know if he's bringing one of my boxes. I don't know what that is. Oh, got these. Handsome it's my it's markers. my noodles. It's my noodles for my my pool. Cute. Okay. <laughs> the floaties. Uh, listeners, we've made it. We get we get our noodles delivered. You know what I mean. We have multiple noodles for the pool. <laughs> now, speaking of that, doing something like this, your show now, which is a dramedy, and requires of you maybe things that you didn't originally think you were going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Did you? What's your process as an actress as far as breaking things down? How do you prepare for? a role and then once you've got it what do you what's your preparation look like um <laughs> and maybe it's not gonna be embarrassing multi-level i just read the script yeah <laughs> i just read the script and with this with this particular script this pilot you know when i got it when i read it you know the part and i knew you know the part that she wanted me to to do i i cried when i read it mm. which so it moved you so yes yeah, so it moved me emotionally so it was easy to as soon as i was reading it i i knew who this person was i i i got her i you know i i got pretty much the you know the, the three leads in the show i i got them i understood where they were coming from so so 
once I get that, I just read it. I think I, I think I read stuff. I read it as the character, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, you go in as an actor, you go in for stuff that you're not sure if it's going to be good. Right. You're not sure. Most things. You're not sure how to, you're not sure how to portray the character sometimes. Um, and so I felt like a lot of times I was just winging it. It was different with Parks because the character wasn't fully fleshed out. It, it, it didn't, it was, it, I was a co-star. I wasn't a regular. So I got to grow and create that character. Yeah. It, um, it required you to bring something of yourself to it. Right. Right. Um, with, with uh, when I did Girlfriend's Guide, that, as soon as I read it, I got that character. Even though I've never been married and divorced, I got the pain that she was going through. So I feel like once I, if I, if I read it and I get it, then it just, it's easy. You read, you know, you read the script a couple of times, you just start feeling it. I don't, I don't necessarily like do research or sure. I don't, I don't create. I, I used to think that you had to create a backstory for, for characters. Um, I don't do that. I don't, that's not my method. Um, every once in a while, I think once you start playing a character, you're like, Oh, I bet she, you know, had a boyfriend that broke her heart in seventh grade. You know, like sometimes you'll come up, but I don't start off like that. I just, I just have to feel comfortable and feel that I understand it's going to fall. Feel, <laughs> feel I understand it. And once, if I feel like I understand the character, then it's just easier to play. Right. But even so, sometimes you're on set and the director will say something and you'll be like, and you, you'll learn something just by a direction that they gave, you know, gave you. Oh, it'll, it'll give you a way in. Yeah. I, I think that's so. And, you know, sometimes when people don't have a quote unquote traditional process, the mm -hmm. way that it's taught, you know, sometimes they'll feel like they have to, you know, qualify it or sort of apologize. But I, I see so much because sometimes I feel like I have too much training and it works against me because mm -hmm. I'm constantly wondering like, well, did I really unearth this? Did I do, <laughs> you know, did I throw all the shit that I, that I've learned at this? And, and if I haven't, well, I feel like I, I feel when I'm working around actors that are like that, that ask a lot of questions and too like many that, questions. I, I get, think. I get uncomfortable because I'm like, am I not asking enough questions? I'm the same way. I I'm very paranoid about that. Oh, <laughs> and you know, some actors just ask questions to ask. To sound <laughs> yeah, okay, smart. Yes. When you're like, just shut up. <laughs> shut up. Yes. I'm, yes. Just I've do it. I've experienced that on a film or two. But I do feel, I do feel a little bit of like an imposter when I'm working with somebody that is like, well, when they're asking about their character, I'm like, should I be asking about my character? Like, am I not? But don't worry, because I... Same for me, watching other people that just, as you said, and I've seen it done many times like that, where just something clicks in the reading of it, and there's this inner life going on, and maybe in a beautiful way, maybe you walk around emotionally open mm -hmm. in a in a great way, mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. you don't have to get rid of all that the defenses and dig down deep because you're like it's here, I wear it on mm -hmm. my sleeve, it's close to the vest, so that when I see it in a character, I can just allow it to come mm -hmm. through, and. I always think that's so great. Conversely, I heard this great story about Denzel 
Washington, <laughs> directed an episode, I believe, Ellen Pom- Pompeo was talking about this, that he directed an episode of Grey's Anatomy because he was friends with Debbie Allen and mm-hmm. he was getting ready to direct uh, Fences. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, come direct a show. Like, you know, just uh, have fun. It'll, right. it'll get you in the groove. <laughs> And Ellen's like, the greatest thing that ever happened was actors would ask him, like, well, you know, what's my character's motivation in this scene? Or, like, what's my character supposed to be doing? Uh-huh. And Denzel would look at him and be like, oh, you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't know? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yes. I'd be like, yes, sir, Mr. Washington, sir, Commodore Washington, Admiral. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Because right. it's sort of like... Right. Understandably, he's like that. You—that's your prep, right? Like you should know. Right. Um, when did you make the change, the leap to share status of? I'm I'm gonna be known by one name. Oh, that was. <laughs> I know we're going we're going a big. Uh... It was, I was was when I first started doing stand up. I was at Charlie Goodnight's in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, the MC came out and asked, who's next? I said, I am. Said, What's your name? Marietta Sarleaf. What? Just Retta. So it was when I was first started doing stand-up, I, went, I started going by Retta, just because it was easier stand-up-wise. Does everyone call you Retta now? Um, I mean, not my family. but They call you... Like, Marietta. My family... They my call family, your full well, name? No, my family calls have... me Neek. My family calls right. me Neek. Um, people from college and high school call me Marietta. But so, I think some are trying to call me Retta. Some call me Retta, but some just call me Marietta. Like, it's weird to them to say Retta. Right. Um, and it's weird to hear them say Retta. When I get calls, I know from what part of my life it comes from by, the, by what they call me. Um, and then, so I have a few friends from college here that they call me Retta because we're in a group of people here in LA and most people from LA know me as Retta. Right. So it took them a while to get used to Retta, but now they call me Retta. I, it, well, because Retta, obviously it's a, it, it's a part of your name mm-hmm. and it's, it's just so easy. Like I have certain friends that have asked me to call them shit like Nighthawk. And I'd be like, <laughs> my guy, your name is fucking Steve. Like right. I'm not calling you Nighthawk. <laughs> Wait, I think I said the entertainer. That was call, call, he did a bit where he's like something like um, some Big Daddy or something. And he was like, Man, I'm a grown ass man. I ain't about to call another man Big Daddy. So, <laughs> it wasn't Big Daddy, but it was so fucking Something funny paternal. Um, now, when you were saying before about how a director will give you an insight into a character or something, say something that helps you click in, mm-hmm. what do you, and I, I like to ask every actor this when I interview them, what are you looking for from a director, from when you have a great relationship with a director? What do you think that they're doing that you, that you appreciate? Um, it's actually hard for me to know. I do like to know that I gave them what they asked for. Mm. Um, I will say, here's what I don't like from some directors. If a, if a director is trying to tell you what they want and they start going into a story to, to give you an idea, I don't like that. I like a short 
yes. to the point direction because they'll even and even sometimes even the words that they'll use because I, Paul Schneider said to me, just give me three three adjectives. Just give me three adjectives. That's it for your direct. If you want me to do something, give me three adjectives because sometimes you'll get into a story and you'll be like. You know, you know, like, okay, so when you're skydiving, like, when you first get up in there, oh, like they, and you're like, I've never s- skydived. That's yeah. not my thing. So I, I have no point of reference. Right. So, and even, even so, to them, skydiving is great. To me, it would cause anxiety. <laughs> right. So a story doesn't help. Sometimes, and sometimes it tends to go beyond. Like, you, when, the, if, when they started telling you what they wanted, you got it, and then they kept talking, and then kept talking, and then they talking to this circle, and then you're like, I don't remember what you really wanted, what you originally said. Now you're like, I thought you wanted one thing, but the end of the story just took me to another place, and now I have no idea. So I rather you just say, because and I've and I've done this with directors, yeah, that they'll they'll go on and on and on and on and on, and then after they finish talking, I go I go, so you want me happier, <laughs> right? Just, that's all I need. Because right. the story, like, I don't need to get... Don't, don't speak to, to me like, in metaphors. You know, yeah, you don't need to... You know, when you first, when you meet somebody and you're so attracted to them, as soon as you meet them and, and, and there's just like this thing in your heart and I'm like, no, I've never, I've never had love at first sight. Like, you know what I mean? I don't, and right. you don't want to say that to the <laughs> yeah. director. So you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm actually pretty cynical. You know, you, yeah. <laughs> so you, I mean, you're like, I kind of get an idea. But if you just say... Just peppier, or or it, or if you're saying, do it like your heart's racing. That's something that I get. Right. But when you start telling the story, you're gonna lose me. Yeah, you can't now, identify. I'm like, I, got, I remember lines, right. and you're changing lines, and the less you give me, <laughs> the easier it's gonna be. My my good friend, who's a brilliant director, his name's Jacob Estes, and he and he directed this movie Mean Creek that I work with him on, and he always says, I try to always give verbs like actionable right. words so like i remember sometimes he would just be i'd have a scene with one of the girls in the movie and he'd be like take care of her just take care of her mm-hmm. like just and it just made it because all of a sudden it's like whatever ver- like because i know how to take care of someone mm-hmm. and so then i could let my imagination go right. off as it meant to me instead of him trying to explain like this one time you know i was really worried about my sister right, right. She had chicken pox, like you know, yeah. like my guy. I can't identify. Yeah, I think I think sometimes, as storytellers, they feel like they always have to tell a story, and I'm like, no, homie, just just give me the one word or the one thing because it's there. Right. You've got to try, it. but different performers are different. I don't, you know, I think some people love to go through the trip with the with the director and be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Because sometimes you're like this, but then, but but at the end, you get you know, no. <laughs> no, happier, sadder, angrier, more aggressive. Just give me, give me that. But I bet you're like me too, and and we touched on it before. Like those actors that ask questions just to ask questions because yeah. they want to seem like. Very They're deep in into their, it, and oh, this means so much to them. I'm and, like, we got an hour till lunch. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, can we please? We're in Pedaly, homie. I'm dying. Let's get to it. <laughs> it is chilly. <laughs> I'm wearing wool. <laughs> this is uncomfortable. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I've seen that, and, and but I, it's so funny because you can see, oops, you can see like the crew being like. 
Really? Great That's the question you wanted to ask? Yes. Really? Now, what do you do? Because you've done like some great co-star, like you talk about with Parks and Rec, how it started as a co-star mm-hmm. and, and guest stars and whatnot. And it's funny, when I interviewed Yvette, I talked about this. How do you, how would you walk on a set and make the most out of what you were doing to like leave, um, to, to, to leave a mark on what you were doing? And yet there's a balance, right? Because mm-hmm. you want to stay out of the star's way. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get too much in their orbit. Um, well, <laughs> so with Parks, it was different because I started in the pilot. So everyone was new. Yeah. So it was everybody's first day of work. Um, and even though I wasn't a regular, you, you know, it's and it starts at the top of the call sheet. Amy was always was very kind and open and people were fr- You know what I mean? It was and that's like everything right for someone like her to set the tone. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For for the top of the call sheet to be cool, it's going to be a cool shoot. Right. Chances are. Unless you have an incompetent crew, which generally they'll fix that. You right. know what I mean? Um, I, I rarely got a lot of, like, co-stars and guest stars. So I did do a few shows. But when you're first starting out, you're scared no matter what. So... You know, my first appearance was on Moesha. And Classic. So, right? So I was... Ray J, come so, on. <laughs> so UPN. I was just nervous to be on a set. So I was very much like P's and Q's. Don't... I didn't really talk. Right. You know, I, was, I wasn't trying to make friends. I, I was like trying to be in the right spot because I didn't know the business. I didn't know about hitting your marks. And I didn't know terminology. So I was just like... Shut up and just figure it out. I didn't know ten one meant the bathroom until Parks. Right, which is the code that they use on, on the walkie-talkie, <laughs> for anyone that doesn't know, yeah. because no one wants to be like, um, Josh is what's, uh, what's going, going to a, need about 20, because he ate a huge breakfast burrito at craft service. <laughs> so they go, Josh is 10-1, exactly. Red is 10-1. Sometimes I'm like, I'm about, it's going to be a 10-2. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I I haven't, had the opportunity to really go in and guest star on a show that's been on. I will say, so for girlfriend's guide, I went in on the second season. So that was something, you know, I went in and I'd watched the first season and liked it. So I went in and that season, most of my stuff was, was with Lisa. So I was just dealing with Lisa really. Right. Um, I didn't have to deal with, the relationship of the girls on set because by the time I did scenes with all the other girls, I'd been working with Lisa so much that I was comfortable with her and she's the lead. So, but you know, when you first go and she had called me before I went up to Vancouver. And so I kind of felt like I made a friend before I got there. Uh, So that wasn't hard. Um, I did a, a sitcom once and most of my scenes were with two with the lead and the other actor. And so that was a little bit nerve wracking, wracking because you don't know how that set works and um, you don't know if they're fun, if they're whatever, you know what I mean? So it is a little bit hard, but I feel like after you've done it for years, you know, you know, you're going in to go do your job. And so you kind of know how to, to conduct yourself 
and kind of be to yourself. But chances are, if it's a good set, the lead of the set is going to come into you, come to you and welcome you and Ugh. make you feel comfortable because you don't want to be uncomfortable unless their method and it's a scene where you're supposed to be uncomfortable with the person right and and then, and then it works go. for you anyway <laughs> oh i mean and that's so right and especially on a tv set i found that like it really is a you're going into someone's home mm-hmm. and you're like let me just is this a shoes yeah. on or shoes off house yeah. <laughs> like just please right. tell me let me stay off of the nice furniture exactly and i mean, my friend went to go direct a show which will go nameless but uh happened to be on when grandfathered was on with uh, another huge 80s star anyway and i remember he was directing the show and he came in and the star of the show kind of said like was very much put on this air of like you are guests here and we're gonna do it this way like just was making his job impossible right and he he was like listen i and to my buddy's you know, something I really respect in him, he went to the guy's trailer uh, in between scenes and said, listen, like, if you don't want me here, I'll go. Right. Like, I'm here to direct your show. I just want to make it great. But you can't yell at me in front of the crew. Right. Like, we can't have that kind right. of dissidence in front of people. And he was like, oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't mean it to come across the way. He's like, well, it did. And so, that's the thing. Like, first of all, manners. Right. But obviously, I, well, I don't, I'm going to say obviously that guy could be an asshole in general, but maybe something went down before and it was still like rubbing his ass. And so he was like, that's not going to happen again. However, that goes down. Then it's on you and the production team to tell the director how you do things on set. Right. Because we've had situations you know, I remember there were episodes of Park, you know, because you have a different director every episode. Right. And I remember there being an episode where, like, we're doing a lot of takes. We don't ever do this many takes. And I just remember we were literally, like, on the 15th take Jesus, of something. that's a lot. And I remember Amy saying, I think, I think we got it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how she let everyone, let him know that we don't do 20 takes well done, on Amy. this show. She's like, I think we got it. Yeah. I think we got it on that one. Well, this and, ain't and House of Cards. Because <laughs> like, I was like, we'll never finish this show. Right. <laughs> and with, with great comedy, too, if you're going past four or five takes and you're not completely rewriting the scene. Right. You've got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Curious with Josh Peck is brought to you by the new Showtime original series, Kidding, directed by Michelle Gondry and starring Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. Carrey stars as Jeff, a.k.a. Mr. Pickles, an icon of children's television and a beacon of kindness and optimism to both children and adults alike. When his family life starts to unravel, Jeff discovers that keeping it all together isn't as easy as one, two, three. Will Jeff head for a breakdown? or a breakthrough. Don't miss the new series Kidding, Sundays at 10 p.m. following new episodes of Shameless only on Showtime. Watch the premiere of Kidding for free on YouTube now. Now, yeah. and and I'll let you go in like two more questions. Mm-hmm. When being, and I, being on a set like Parks and Rec, especially, especially early on, you know, these people, the Aziz, the Chris, like, Nick, they weren't the superstars that they are yet, mm-hmm. but they were hitters. Right. Like you were surrounded by hitters. Mm-hmm. Did you see early on where you were like, Chris Pratt, you're going to be a movie star? Or were you just like, you're just, you're funny? Well, with Chris, for me, he was, I knew Chris from Everwood. Gotcha. I loved his character on Everwood, had a crush on that character, 
just because he liked the the nerdy girl and so any boy that falls for the nerdy Ugh. girl or the chubby girl I was like he's oh, a dream he gets us so <laughs> so I just remember Chris being a um like a macho guy with heart on that show right. on Everwood and he's kind of a guy's guy in real life or at least yes. from what I, I get from his IG well, yeah likes, likes to hunt fish. likes to fish right. like, yeah that's his likes to shoot like a that's dude. his thing um so when I saw him on set, I was like, Jesus, this guy's fucking funny. I just remember being like, he's so goddamn funny. Because Chris also was uh, a guest star. Wow. He became a regular, I think, season two. Um, and then as we went on, I was like, I could see Chris thinking. He's a thinker. And I'm like, he's really smart. Chris is really, really smart. So he went through like a whole thing. For me, in my eyes, he went through so many things. And I was like, oh, this guy's the whole package. Did I see Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, did I see? No, like Guardians of the Galaxy didn't surprise me. Because the character, yeah, that, that is classic Chris Pratt. But... To get the the stage to get to do that on a giant sci-fi you know space movie, that was the thing that you're like holy shit. So no, I did not see that that coming. But I always was like, he's so smart, he's so funny. I know him to be you know dramatic. So he had everything as far as I was concerned. Um, so I just I just loved when Chris worked because I used to laugh. I mean everybody makes me laugh. That that whole group was fucking hilarious. Yeah, it was a murderer's row of but comedians. With, but with everyone else, I was nervous mm. because they, I knew them all to be great improvers and, 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 and improvisers, and I, I was deathly afraid of improvisation. Deathly. And it gave me panic attacks to think that they'd want me to try something else. Like when, if, if a line came at me that wasn't my line, Oof. I was so, it wasn't the, the line, the scripted line. I'd get nervous about it. Um, and so, and I wrote about it in the book where it was the, f- my first week of shooting or shooting in the pilot and Amy uh, or Leslie was going through the, the, the office and set, and asked about a leaf on a board She's like, where's, where's, where's this from? And I, I turned around and I looked at it and I was like, am I supposed to speak? Cause I was not scripted. I did not have any lines in the pilot. <laughs> right. And I was like outside. And the fact that when, when they yelled cut and she responded by dying laughing, just kind of just saved me from being like a psychopath going to work. Right. Because a those terrified guys, kid. Improvise all the time, and I was like, "That's not my vein of gold. I don't know what to do." It, Did it become your thing? I yeah, it time? had to. Right, I, but but also, I had by then you were making friends with people, and you, and I knew it was a safe space. That's that's everything. another thing. Um, having the losing the fear of rejection or judgment. Right. When you don't fi- now, I don't care. I've done it along. I've done it with the best of them. I've done it long enough that I don't fear a joke not working or whatever. You just try. You just try whatever. And now we we even do it on our show. We do it with 
with um, mostly you do it when you're trying to be funny, but we we do it with uh, you know our drama, dramatic scenes and stuff like that. So I've gotten to a place now because I got seven years with some of the best imp- you know improvisers. Do you worry anymore that you're gonna work? Like, do you oh, feel yeah. that every day <laughs> the- never lose it? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, once I know you know show got picked up. Okay, so I I have my that anxiety is off for until we finish shooting. Months. Yes, <laughs> for at least the, the the thirteen episodes I know we're supposed to shoot, or however many we're supposed to shoot. Right, I that anxiety is gone, but you still have a fear when a show's over. Like, when's it gonna happen next? Yeah. What am I gonna get? I, I I the idea of going into a room to audition makes me want to throw up. When's the last time you had to audition for something? Um. Like a month ago. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was for a Netflix movie. And how are you in the audition room? Are you, because I imagine. I'm a wreck. Really? Because yeah. I'm projecting, right? Because if I'm you, mm-hmm. I'm like, I have quite the track record. No. Nope. Like, no. I, you are welcome wreck. that I'm showing up. <laughs> <laughs> You're a wreck. Well, here's Me the thing. too. I, I know people always think that. And so I'm like. Well, if people think that, then don't make me audition. You know what I mean? Fuck like, if, yes. you know what I mean? Don't make me audition. Absolutely. I did not audition for Good Girls. Right. That was written. Jenna said, "I wrote this with you in mind." So I was like, "Oh my god, thank god!" So I didn't have to audition for it. So I got to, and it's a part that I loved, and it it was amazing. So that it was like the Everything guys aligned. looked down on me and were like, "Let's." Let's just give her this one. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, she's, she's putting enough work. She was a chemist. <laughs> she was stoked. She put in the, her time. <laughs> so I think I got very, very lucky that I got a part that I love playing. I love the the show. I love the story. I love the vibe. I love I love the girls. I love who I work with. Um, grateful for Reno, who plays my husband. Because there's another thing. There's a thing about having to play have a play an intimate relationship with someone you don't know. Right. And so Reno just made me feel so comfortable. Cause I went in like, <sighs> and had you oh, had intimate guy. or like love scenes before any version of that? No, no. I, um, and well, that's, that's not true. That's not true. Because I've had, inti- I had intimate, re- um, scenes with uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner in girlfriend's. Theo. Guy. Yes. <gasps> but gosh, I mean, we didn't ha- we didn't have any like sex scenes. We had bed scenes, but right. nothing crazy. But it was w- we our characters met and got to have a relationship. Sure. On this, we start off married with two kids, so there's a certain level of knowing a person for knowing we apparently know each other for twenty years right. that you just met, and that's I feel like that's something hard to do, especially if you're supposed to have an intimate loving relationship with someone and you meet them for the first time and you got to play a scene with someone you love. Oh yeah. And so that's, but, and that, that says a lot about his personality, just his personality making me feel so comfortable off the bat. You can learn it. That's huge. You can learn it. Um, Sometimes I, and you know, living in the world that we live in, we have to be the utmost, uh, beyond respectful and have the foresight in any, when you're doing any sort of intimate relationship on screen. Mm -hmm. But sometimes in my experience, when I've had to have, you know, play someone's lover or Mm -hmm. boyfriend or girlfriend or or boyfriend and girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. I'm multi-versatile. You know what I'm saying? 
I bring a lot to the party. <laughs> wait, wait, what was that? What was that show? Leap, Quantum Leap, where he would play women and men all oh, the time. When he bounce, yeah, he'd have to bounce in time, and he would bounce it to different bodies. I could do that shit. <laughs> That's but your Quantum Leap. I would ask the actress sometimes, just on set, like five minutes before. I'd say, "Can I? Can I hold your hand? Mm-hmm. Can I just like? Right? Because we're about to be like intimate and have this whole thing mm-hmm. on screen, and it just feels weird if we are completely separate beings." the minute or two before right so if you feel comfortable enough like can we just hold hands for a second and yeah. and there's some because you know there's something so intimate about holding someone's mm-hmm. hand or looking into someone's eyes or a kiss or something like that can be so um vulnerable yeah yeah i mean so i feel like that's a good thing to do to obviously to ask um but i also would be like if you could put your hand on my back when we walk out like just to tell them it's okay to touch me yes or whatever so that they're like oh okay and then you start like with keegan keegan michael key was the first person i ever kissed on camera and that was at our wedding on the show and so that episode we're supposed to be in love at this point you know what i mean yeah and our characters have dated and supposedly had crazy sex and stuff like that but that was the first time we actually touched was our wedding right really um and so we would do the scene. So we would like, we were like, let's hold hands. Let's hold hands. So we would hold hands uh, when we were looking at the church to, you know, before the wedding and stuff like that. So it just makes you feel closer. So then when we were shooting the reception scenes, it was very comfortable and easy to hold his hand yeah. while we're standing there talking to people. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's things that it's hard. It's hard to play, to, to feel comfortable. You may think it looks fine and comfortable but sometimes it's weird yeah people can see right away because yeah because i had yeah i had to make out with this guy on um girlfriend's guide and i had just met him it was and so and people actors have to do that all the time oh yeah it's rare for me and that's sometimes in my <laughs> head where i'm like my job is so cool full transparency my job is so scary <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean look we all watched the first uh the first of uh, 50 shades of gray the first movie mm-hmm. and i was like yo y'all hate each other <laughs> like i could see that through the screen <laughs> But I digress. Um, <laughs> last question. What's the dopest thing that's come from being Retta from, from your fame? Is it your Hamilton experience? Pretty much. Yeah. Hamilton. I mean, you know, I love, as I mentioned, I love a Hollywood party. Nothing makes me happier than watching You're famous people. You're a good schmoozer. Watching famous people drink and dance is one of my favorite hobbies. Um, but Hamilton definitely... Just because I loved it so much and then was allowed to participate in it as much as I did was like the greatest. Because like going to the Tony party, that was insane. I mean, you know, heavy hitters were at that party. You want to just give us one. Andrew Lloyd Webber. There was a point where I was standing next to Andrew... Andrew Lloyd Webber and Kanye. <laughs> Not Kanye. I don't remember seeing Kanye there, but it was it was pretty amazing. And then just getting to be friends with people in the show and like shots off the Grammy. One of my favorite moments. Tequila? What was the booze? Tequila. I was drinking tequila. Shots out of the Grammy. <laughs> yeah. 
the dream. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. So yeah, I would say that was that was the coolest thing to come from uh, being a quote unquote celeb. Love was it. getting to participate the, as much as I did because, and it's because the first time I got to go it was only because uh, Miguel saw my name in the email and liked me from Parks, and that's how I got my tickets to the last preview before wow. open on Broadway. And then the next time I went is because I had met Oak after the show. He liked Parks. I tweeted. I was like, oh, I can't get tickets. He was like, email this girl. Got you. I got you tonight. You know, like, so everything I got was as a result of someone being a fan of Parks and Don Amigo. Love it. <laughs> That's huge. It's pretty good. Well, between us girls, uh-huh. Post Malone has written to me. Are you a fan? Post Malone? Okay. <laughs> let me let me lay down. Post Malone, he, oh, he's he's a wild one. Anyway, he's a, he's a semi-known rapper, singer. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Post oh, Malone. Can I tell you? So I just did, wait, I just did, oh, I was at Ken Pavis' salon. Not a big deal. Don't worry about it, you guys. Okay, um, high end. And they were playing it, and um, it's good. And he, like press, so it, that was all we heard. All we heard that I, I knew it sounded familiar. Yes, that's all we listened to all night for hours. He recently slipped that's into hilarious. my DMs and was <laughs> like, "I'm performing at the Hollywood Bowl, and I would like to invite you." And I was like, what? "Mr. Malone, I'm honored. <laughs> I will see you there." Um, I love you. Thank you for doing this. No problem. This is the best. Buy her book immediately. Get it. You know? I Bye. (laughs) That was it. That was Retta again. Buy her book. So close to being the shit. Y'all don't even know. At, uh, you know, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. Maybe if there's like a Borders, like a single Borders that's still open, maybe you can go buy it there. Um, you know, maybe you frequent a local bookstore, like a cute little, a nook, a small, convenient sort of 350 square foot shop front that only carries special books. And there's like an older gentleman who owns it, who you have like sort of a shorthand with, and he gives you book suggestions and you buy them or not. (laughs) Um, Again, guys, hope you had an incredible holiday weekend. Thank you for listening to The Curious Podcast. It means so much to me. Love y'all. Have a good week. Uh, don't sweat it. The week will go fast. It's already Tuesday. You're basically there. It's, it's like basically Thursday night. Okay, love you. Bye. <laughs>